Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. John 10. Someone counted. This is, I think, my 56th sermon through the Gospel of John. What is wrong with that? Well, why are we doing that? I'm not trying to be difficult. I mean, I could bop through it, I suppose, in, you know, 10 sermons. But what I'm tired of doing, and I think you are too, is passing over all these passages that I read, I'm familiar with, I know they say something wonderful, but I really haven't a clue what they mean. If you ask me to explain it to a, to, a, to a sixth grader, I could no more really tell you what that says than fly. It's cool, I know it is, but I don't know what it means. Well, I'm tired of that. I've been tired of that for a long time. I want to know what the word really says. Why? So I can obey it. Why? Because I like Shalom. <laughs> be honest with you. I love the peace of God. I love what he does uh, when I walk in obedience. I love seeing people saved and I love seeing lives healed. It's so wonderful to watch. So we're studying the word and we're letting Jesus disciple us. So today we're going into, we're in another passage. He is talking to a group of Pharisees. Now these Pharisees aren't just Pharisees who are his opponents. These are the ones who actually like him. They're a group who've been traveling with him. It's said there in the language. Uh, so they've been, they've been following him, but I don't think they buy all of his theology. I, I, in particular, because that's what you'll see him bring out today, they don't believe the Messiah is going to die. See, Jesus was preaching something very radical to, that, to the ear of that time in, in, in Israel. He was not just saying the Messiah is going to come, and when he does, he's going to set up this beautiful kingdom. He'll gather all of the people who are scattered all over the earth and prosper our agriculture and, and, and set up Zion, Israel, Jerusalem as the, as the center of the world. You know, that's what Israel was waiting for. That's what the people wanted. That's the Messiah they were waiting for. And will that happen? Yes, it sure will. That's what we're waiting for, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus said there was an advent one. That he had to first come and do something painful. He had to first come and what? Die. That was not received. That was the point of argument. It still is. (laughs) That was the whole contest. That sin of the human race was so severe that God could not ignore it. That it had to be paid for. And it could not be paid for by just anyone. And it was certainly not being paid for by the sacrifice of animals. That there had to be some way that God could justly take the sin of the world and break its power and pay the price to release those who would repent. So Jesus was saying, I'm that. I'm that. And I think those Pharisees just would argue with him. And they just, no, that's just not right. You remember Peter when Jesus said, I'm going to go die? What did he do? He took him aside and said, no. And Jesus had a little something to say to Peter. Remember what it was? One of the more unflattering terms in the Bible. Get thee behind me. Ooh, Satan, yeah. He was, so he was just saying, devil's talking right through you now. But that's the devil talking, not you. That's exactly what he was telling Peter. So this is the issue you see at work here. Let's pick up. We're at John chapter 10. 
I'll start at verse 1 just to let you hear, but I'm going to pick up really at verse 6. Jesus saying to them, truly, truly, he actually says, amen, amen. I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep uh, by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. The shepherd they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. I'll stop there. We've already talked about this. He, he portrays the ancient... Um, uh, corral, the, the sheepfold, they'd build a rock wall. Uh, in, in lots of the areas of the Middle East, they still do. You still see this. It's not, not just something uh, ancient. It still goes on. You have this rock wall, and that's where you put your flock at night uh, to protect them and keep everybody in, uh, where they belong. And, it's, and a number of shepherds will use the same corral, as it were. So all those sheep go in there, and they do look alike. So how do you know whose sheep is whose? Well, the sheep learn the voice or the call of their shepherd. So in the morning, uh, one of the shepherds will come, and here's this mass of sheep, and they give their call, which sometimes, by the way, is a song. They'll give their call, ah, you know, and, and the sheep, ah, I hear the song, and, and, and uh, they come out of the corral, and then Jesus says that the good shepherd doesn't drive, doesn't take a stick and whack them, the good shepherd just goes to the front of this group and starts walking, and the sheep follow right along because they know their master. They trust. There's a, there's a relationship there. And he says, that was, that's what a good leader does. And he said, and that's what, and he says, that's, what, uh, that's who I am. I'm that kind of leader. And then he's, he's going to say, we're going to see it today, that the key, he says, a, the good shepherd doesn't climb in over the wall to the sheep. The good shepherd has only to come, and the doorkeeper opens it. And what marks the good shepherd? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's the difference. All other leaders have come for an agenda. The good shepherd has come for us and willing to die for us. That's the heart of this passage. It says in verse 6, this figure of speech uh, that Jesus spoke to them, they did not understand. These, now, these are religious students. These are students of the Bible, but they, they know... They know shepherding, of course, but they, they, they know he's talking in parable. And he's saying, what are you saying? Uh, they didn't understand what he'd been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again. And he doesn't just answer the question. He takes it even further. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Would you say door of the sheep? All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me... He will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Would you read that verse out loud? I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and is not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. 
even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Would you say that once more? I lay down my life for the sheep. There is only one way to come to God. There is only one door that leads to peace with our creator. There has never been another way. At the very center of God's plan for the human race stands a cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. From Adam and Eve onward for thousands of years, people offered animal sacrifices. And though they understood very little of what those sacrifices represented... Every sacrifice that pleased God and brought grace to the worshiper did so only because it symbolized the future death of God's son. Let me just portray for a minute what, what, a, what a basic sacrifice would involve. Now you've got them in the temple. They got quite elaborate and all, but, but from the very beginning of the human race, and I'll show you that in a minute. From the very beginning of the human race, when people wanted to appeal to God, they would pile up stones or mud, if that's what it took, but they'd get a little raised spot. It's what you call a high place. They'd raise it up, and then they'd put wood on that, and they would take an animal. It would either be a, a goat or a sheep uh, in particular, and they would put their hand on the head of that thing first. Now, why did they do that? Conf- they are imparting their sin. You are, the, the, the picture, the whole thing is about, I have sin, and I'm appealing to God for mercy. And so I put my sin onto this poor beast, and then the thing's throat is cut. It's ugly, it's meant to be, frankly. And then they would prepare this thing, and pile it there, and light the thing, and the smoke of it would rise up to God like a prayer. This is, this is sacrifice, this is what it was done. At the heart of every true sacrifice, someone would lay their hands on the head of an animal and confess their sin, thereby imparting their guilt to, onto that innocent victim, which would then die in their place and be offered up to God on an altar. Then the smoke of that offering would rise up to heaven like a prayer. It was an appeal for mercy. That person wanted to be at peace with God. Sin was acknowledged and then transferred to a substitute. The death sentence that should have been imposed on the worshiper fell on the animal. By accepting that offering, God mercifully allowed the penalty for one person's sin to be paid by another. He and the worshiper were then at peace. In in Israel, if you look in the Old Testament, you'll see there are five basic sacrifices that they would make. There was what's called the burnt offering, and that's really what I just described. Just in general, whenever someone comes to God, you deal with sin. You acknowledge your sin, and you ask for mercy and cleansing of your sin. That's the burnt offering. It's a big general offering. And then there was was a, a grain offering, and that's in the grain offering, you're bringing some of the stuff you've grown, and you're saying thank you. In effect, then we tithe and offer. That's what we do. We're saying we're not paying him back for anything. We're thanking him. We're honoring and worshiping him as our source. They did that too. There was a third one, which is called the peace offering. Now, they didn't, it wasn't really a sacrifice at all. In fact, it wasn't a sacrifice. They would take part of a sacrifice, and, 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 and they would take that, and they would eat it. They would, it would be, you got the meat, you got the grain, you got whatever it is, and you would have a meal in the presence of the Lord. 
The peace offering is really a, a covenant celebration. What you're saying is God has received our offering. He has forgiven our sins. We are at peace with him. Shalom. He loves us. We love him. And so we're having a, a basically lunch with him. Now, you didn't put some places out for God. It wasn't that kind of thing. But the idea was you had, you had offered, you were forgiven, and you celebrated your forgiveness and, the, and your, your shalom by having a peace meal, a peace fellowship. And there's also guilt and, and, and sin offerings, and those are for specific things you did wrong. One, one is against people, and you've got to go make it right, uh, etc. Anyway, peace is the result of it. Now, why would God desire such a thing? Why did so many animals have to die? Surely the death of an animal has no power to remove someone's moral guilt. Yet from Abel's sacrifice, sacrifice of one of his flock onward, God accepted such sacrifices when they were presented to him in faith. Listen to how God responded to Cain and Abel. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also, say also, would you? Also brought of the firstling of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Now that story, when it's told, usually is kind of, it's, it's confused. They go, well, apparently God likes meat better than he likes vegetables. You know, that kind of deal. Uh, he took one, he didn't take another. It's kind of like God's arbitrarily going, I like you. You know, this sort of thing. It's not it at all. Cain was bringing a thank offering. He was bringing maybe, his, maybe barley or wheat or something he'd grown. Maybe it was fruit. But it, this was a thank offering. Is that wrong to do? It is not wrong to do. It is a very good thing to do. He was bringing a thank offering before the Lord of what he had grown. It, does, it says, and that's why I had you say the word also. It says that Abel also brought a firstling from his flock. He also, in other words, Abel also brought his grain offering. Or his fruit offerings. He brought those things. But with it. He brought a lamb. This was a very important moment in human history. It was God explain. God was explaining what he wanted from us. It was not wrong for Cain to present to God grain or fruit. That kind of offering is a way of saying thank you to God. In fact, it appears Abel brought grain and fruit as well. But with that, he also presented an animal sacrifice. And that was what pleased the Lord. Because an animal sacrifice doesn't say thank you. It says what? Forgive me. By the way, I checked the Hebrew. It's also. It's in there. It confesses sin and appeals for mercy. The Bible literally says here that God looked to Abel and his offering. He was teaching humans how to draw near to him. Sadly, Cain refused the lesson. But from that time on, up until the time of Jesus, men and women offered animal sacrifices. Why? Jesus will answer that question as he talks about the good shepherd and the door. He said, amen, amen. But when yours translates truly, truly, or verily, verily, the root is amen, amen, and that's a Hebrew word. 
This was his style. When he was about to say something important, our Lord would say, Amen, amen. That's the way he preached. I say to you that I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. In the, early, pardon me, in, in the earlier illustration of the sheepfold, Jesus portrayed himself as the true shepherd who entered by the door rather than breaking in by some other way. He will soon openly declare himself to be that good shepherd. But first he introduced himself as the door of the sheep. In other words, people must come into God's sheepfold through him. It is through him that people are saved. And it is through him that people receive God's care. They go in and out and find pasture. If the doorway through which the, the true shepherd must pass is that he must die for God's sheep, we saw that the other day, then the doorway through which God's sheep must pass is the placing of their faith in the death and resurrection of God's true shepherd. Did you follow what I just said? He entered, he, Jesus pictures himself two ways in this passage. First of all, he's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who came in through the doorway. In that part, the doorway is his death. He came in by laying down his life for the sheep. That is the only doorway into, to become the true shepherd of God's sheep. But now he says, he says, I'm the door. Well, wait a minute. Are you the door? The shepherd, or are you the door? He's both. In the first part, he's the true leader because he passes through the door of death. In the second part, he is the door through which all sheep all true sheep enter through his death. Do you follow? The doorway into the sheepfold of God is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Over the course of Israel's history, there were many false prophets, wicked kings, and men who falsely claimed to be the Messiah. And many of these tried to teach people a way to God other than through the sacrifices that God ordained. These were not simply leaders who were confused, they were men who were being used by the devil to steal the people's resources, kill their followers by leading them into foolish wars and uprisings, and destroy their hope for eternal life. By contrast, Jesus came to lay down his life, thereby providing the one atoning sacrifice that God, pardon me, the Father would accept for the sins of the world. He came to provide the sacrifice to which all true sacrifices by, God, by God's people appoint pardon me, pointed from Adam and Eve onward. And he came to provide the sacrifice on the cross in which all believers thereafter would place their faith. When Jesus said, I came so that they, God's sheep, may have life and they may have it abundantly, he was declaring that his death would make it possible for humans, regardless of whether they lived before or after him, to be given eternal life. Now let's follow this. Up until the time of Jesus... When he came and died on the cross, people didn't know his name. In fact, they didn't really know what God was going to do. Yes, there's a lot in the Old Testament that describes it, but people were confused. They didn't know what to make of this. So did people know? No, they didn't. They simply knew this. God would do something. And when they sacrificed an animal, I'll say this in a minute, when they sacrificed an animal, nobody thought a dead goat is somehow going to pay for your sins. 
Nobody's that stupid. It's a dead goat. They knew it, it meant something more. So in the, through the, from the beginning of, of Adam, from Adam and Eve onward, up until the time of Jesus, when people made these sacrifices, they were by faith believing that something God would do would pay for their sins. It was, you follow that? It's a pledge looking forward. Since Jesus has been crucified, we now, you, you have information that, that the prophets, that Moses himself would have just given anything to know what you know. You know the name of God's son. You know, the, you know what he did. You know where he lived. You know how he died. You know all of those things. You have tremendous information they didn't have. Peter, in 1 Peter, will say this. He'll say the prophets, uh, would, when, as they were writing these things, would long to know and ask God, what is this that we're writing? And he said, and he would only tell them. That's for another generation to know. You imagine that? Isaiah, that guy. There isn't a clearer explanation of Jesus in the New Testament. You, 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 you can get so saved just reading Isaiah 53. You, you, don't, need, you don't need a New Testament. You just don't know his name. Uh, that's the only thing. Can you imagine Isaiah writing that and going, who is this? And God saying, not telling. That's for another generation. Just write. Yeah, that's what Peter tells you. You can read it later. By adding the statement that his sacrifice would provide abundant life, more, and the word means overflowing, uh, more life than people could possibly use, he was pointing to the glories of the new age. But since it's possible to experience those glories here in this life, his words encourage us to expect an abundance of his presence as well as the blessings his presence brings to us. Verse 11, this verse holds the key to the understanding of this entire passage. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life on behalf of the sheep. It would be his death and resurrection that qualified him to be the true shepherd of God's sheep. What separated him from all other religious teachers and leaders is that he alone was qualified to become the sacrifice for the sins of the world. He alone is the divine sinless son of God who became a man in order to die as our substitute. There never has been or will be another. That's why there is only one true door through which all humans from every age of earth's history must pass. All must come to God by faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. When Jesus made the statement, when he said, I am the door, and those who are going to come to God must come through me. He's, he's not saying, I am a door. I'm a good door. Try me. He, there are others, but try mine. He's not saying, I'm the door for this generation here in Israel. I'm a door right now. He meant exactly what he said. He is the single center of human history. He is the only reason anyone on planet earth from the beginning of time to the last moment will ever be forgiven. Why so? He is the only sacrifice. God does not ignore sin. He doesn't go, I'm a nice guy. You've had a bad day. I've had a bad, I've had a good day. I'm going to forgive you. Just forget that ever happened. 
What God is willing to do, and that's what, that's what this taught from the very beginning. God is not willing to ignore your sin. When you, when you and I do stuff, somebody's going to pay for it. When he forgives you, it's not like, oops, not a big deal, no problem. What he just does is take your sin and puts it on someone else. Now, who can bear? Who could, who's worth the sin of the world? Who justly could pay the price for this? Well, if you die or I die, you know what the Bible says? The wages of sin is death. So if I die, I paid for my own. <laughs> you know, I can cover one guy. And that's not a very healthy, healthy thing. When you die, you couldn't die for the sin of the world. No good person could die for the sin of the world. What God did is he sent his son. He sent his son, his divine son from heaven, who is worth all things, who is holy and pure, who willingly didn't just come down and look like a man, became a man, born in Mary's womb. He became one of us, but his spirit is, is the son of God. Pure, tempted like we, in fact, savagely tempted worse than any one of us have ever been tempted. Just hammered, and he did not sin. So here you have your spotless lamb. All of this was meant to teach us, this is the way God will deal with sin. He will transfer it onto an innocent victim. Someone will take it. So he sent his son, who then bore our sin. And in his death and his resurrection, the price of sin was paid for, not ignored. God didn't blow it off. God had his son take our place. Do you follow? When Jesus called himself the door, he was not saying he is a door. He is not saying one, he was one of many doors. He was not saying that he was the door for that generation. He meant exactly what he said. He is the door for God's sheep, all of them in every age of earth's history. By laying down his life, he made salvation possible for all humans. Before Jesus came to earth, people acknowledged their sin and called on God for mercy using animal sacrifice. But the only reason God accepted those sacrifices is because they were symbols which represented his son's death. They pointed the faith of a worshiper forward in time to what was then still a mystery. Surely, even in ancient times, no one ever thought an animal could take a human's place. When men and women sacrificed an animal, they must have understood that what they were doing somehow pictured a wonder that God would do sometime in the future. Without knowing how or when that that might happen, they offered their sacrifices trusting that God knew and however he would accomplish it, that sacrifice would cleanse away their sins. Though God gave mercy, people were righteous by faith in the Old Testament and from the beginning of time. Men and women who would walk with God, the true God, in repentance and faith, believing that he would grant them mercy. They did not have the information you have. They did not know the data you know. They, don't know the, they didn't know about those things. But God didn't require that. He required the repentance and the faith. Do you follow? They looked forward to the cross and trusted some, that God would do something. You and I now look backward to the cross and we know what he's done. And we lay hold of that moment by faith as well, looking backward in time.
Before Jesus came, all people knew was they needed to acknowledge their sins. They knew they were supposed to place those sins on an innocent victim. They knew the victim must die. Blood must be shed. They knew that the animal's death was meant to spare their life. So for millennia, men and women called on God that way for mercy and they received it. Let me give you an illustration of this. Abraham, Abraham wasn't a Jew. Abraham was a man from Ur the Chaldees who walked with God as God revealed to him. You remember the time when the Lord told him to take, he, had this, he, had, he and Sarah had miraculously, wonderfully conceived, uh, natural conception, uh, a boy, Isaac. And then God told him, when I don't know, eight or nine years old, he told him to take this boy and take him to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. Uh, you can imagine, I'm sure he did not tell Sarah where they were going. I, I, I mean, you'd never gotten out of camp. It just, uh, anyway. So he's taking him to Mount Moriah, which, by the way, is exactly where he's going, exactly where the temple is. Well, the Mosque of Omar is there today, but where the temple, Israel's temple, was there, right there. That's, that's Mount Moriah. So he's taking about 50 miles, and he goes there. And, and, and Isaac asks him when they're getting there, they've got fire in a bucket, or a bucket, they've some clay pot. Uh, they've got fire and wood. And they're walking up to this thing to sacrifice. And Isaac says, Father, where's the offering? Where's the ram? What, what, what are we going to offer? And, and what was Abraham's answer to? to uh, he says, God will provide his own ram. Okay? So they go up there. And then this thing occurs where he, he apparently captures him and ties him up. And is about, to put him on, he puts him, he builds this altar thing we've talked about. Puts poor Isaac on it. Um, and is about to kill him. And the, and the, the voice of the Lord says, uh, Isaac, stay your hand. And he looks, and there is a ram caught in a, in a, in a bush by its horns uh, on, uh, nearby. And, he, and he, he goes over and he sacrifices the ram in Isaac's place. And then he named that place something. What was it? Jehovah Jireh. Now, all you've ever heard with that is that that means you're going to get rich. It does not mean that. It doesn't. Actually, that's quite a, quite a blasphemous misuse of the term. He named the place Jehovah Jireh, for in that place, the Lord will what? Provide himself an offering. That is the heart of the, That was where the temple was and hundreds of yards from where Christ was crucified. The Lord, even I, Abraham, he doesn't know Jesus' name. He doesn't know about the cross. But he knows that God will provide himself a ram. Somehow, Jehovah Jireh, he will provide for us. And it was, that was reckoned to him as righteousness. I know he will when he sees this, the stars and all that. But that, that's the heart of faith. That's the men and women who would walk with God by faith that he would provide a sacrifice. Here's a very important truth to remember. During all those years before Jesus came, no one was accepted by God because they kept the law of Moses. The only way humans have ever been accepted by God is by acknowledging our sins and coming to God in faith that he will give us mercy. People who had already become righteous by faith used the law of Moses to instruct them in how to avoid sin and please God. 
But righteousness comes only by faith, not by keeping rules. Rules guide righteous people. They don't create righteous people. And righteousness, being at peace with God, is available by faith only because the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Do you follow this? Can you see why it is impossible? There is no other form of righteousness. There's no other way. There's no other door into the sheepfold. If you want to come in through the door, you come in through the shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Whether it's by faith, not knowing his name, but trusting God would provide him, or whether it's by you and I looking backward in time and remembering the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is only one door. No one has ever earned anything. The law of God was never intended to make someone righteous. It was intended to take righteous people and teach them how to walk in holy ways with God so he could abide with them. It's still a wonderful thing. We love the, the, the word of God. All of it. Amen? Amen? We're made righteous. How? By faith in the Son of God. The only possible sacrifice. Without the sacrifice of Jesus, there would be no forgiveness. Not in ancient times, not now. God's justice demands that sins must be punished, not ignored. So without an appropriate sacrifice, one which is able to bear the punishment due all humans, God would have no choice but to drive us away from himself. But God does love us and wants us to be with him forever. So he did the only thing he could do to rescue sinful human beings. He sent the one person whose sacrifice could open the door for all who call on him by faith for mercy. So let's say it once more so that we're really clear on this point. All the sacrifices we see in the Old Testament looked forward by faith to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who said that? That was John the Baptist. Yes, remember that? He looked up and he saw Jesus and he said, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He was, he, he was exactly describing this. As, or as Jesus called himself in the passage we read today, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Then, once Jesus arrived, those animal sacrifices were no longer needed. The symbol was replaced by the person it symbolized. From the time Jesus ascended into heaven until now, men and women of faith look backward to his sacrifice on the cross, which forgives their sins once and for all. New symbols. Now we have new symbols. The bread and the cup of the Lord's Supper. They represent the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord when he died for us on the cross. They remind us that there is one finished sacrifice for the sins of all humans. Like those ancient worshipers who presented animal sacrifices, we too acknowledge our sins. We too place our sins on an innocent victim. We too trust that the victim's death was meant to spare our life. And we too call on God for mercy. But Jesus explained that day, along with mercy, we receive much more. Listen to this. Would you read this with me? I am the good shepherd, and I know the ones that are mine. And the ones that are mine know me in the same way as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Did you see that? Now, that's my translation, but it's, it's literal. I'm not messing with anything. He says, he says I'm, I know the ones that are mine, and the ones that are mine know me, and the, and the knowledge we have 
is exactly the same as the knowledge between the Father and the Son. Did you just follow what I said? That we are to know Jesus as intimately, as completely, as he knows the Father. That is an astounding statement. He says that when you come to me, you will enter into a relationship as deep as the relationship between the Father and the Son. Those words point to a very deep bond between Jesus and God's people. He said this bond is as deep as the bond between himself and the Father. Whatever else he meant by that statement, to say that our relationship with him is comparable to his relationship with the Father is absolutely amazing. The knowledge which is shared between the Father and the Son is complete. It is unbroken. It is full of love, respect, and honor. To hear that he knows us like that is easier to accept than to hear that we can know him that way. We understand that he has all knowledge and loves us with a perfect love. But for him to say that he has made it possible for us to know him at that level is astounding. He is inviting us into a relationship with him that is heavenly. When you and I enter in through the door, he went on to say, and you will go in and out and find pasture. Remember that phrase? You will enter into the care and the relationship of God. When you come in, he says, through me, it's not just forgiving your sins. But I'm inviting you into the family. I'm inviting you into the conversation. As, as, I, as the Father and I know each other, you and I will know each other. And may I add, and you and I and the Father. You, we're being invited into the heart of God. To know him, to love him, to talk with him. Now, Paul will say, he says right now on this planet, limited by these bodies of ours he says we we see through a, in, a, in a glass darkly we see in a mirror dimly remember that in other words we, we we see this and we do see him but we don't see him like we're going to see but he says then he says when 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 the lord returns or we step across he says then we shall see him how face to face and then he says this and we shall know him how even as we are known exactly what Jesus just said. We will know him with the complete knowledge that he knows us. That's because you're, you and I are being called in as children. We are children of God. We are not saved people, uh, you know, we're not who got pulled out of hell. We did, and that's a good thing. But we have been called to be children of God. He's given us the right, says, says John, the right to become called children. He's, we're his children. We've been adopted, not just let in the door. The question, the question is, have you and I come to God through the door? Have we placed our faith in Jesus' death and resurrection? Do we trust his cross or do we hope to do enough good deeds to outweigh the bad? Or do we believe there's another shepherd or someone who's found another way into God's presence? In explaining to a group of zealous students of the Bible why they were not yet acceptable to God, Jesus told them that the root of their problem was that they didn't think they needed a Savior because they didn't think they were sinners. And apparently they rejected the idea that someone would have to die for them, that the Messiah, the Good Shepherd, must die 
to save God's sheep. To people like that, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And then he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's God's plan. There has never been or ever will be another plan. At the very center of history stands a cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. The question is, do you and I believe? Are we prepared to acknowledge our sins? How about you? Are you prepared to acknowledge you're a sinner? You know, I don't know how anyone wouldn't, unless you're just deluded. Because, I mean, somebody was talking about why is it so difficult for us to, to, to love ourselves? And, and I think I know the answer. You know what you're like in private. And I'm saying the flesh. I'm talking about the flesh here. When, when you and I give ourselves to Jesus Christ, our spirit, which is the essential us, that's me, my spirit's talking to your spirit right now, okay? We love the Lord, and we, want, and we love his ways. We want to please him. But we still live in a body that is completely unchanged. It's as nasty as it ever was. Have you noticed? You still have adrenaline. You still have anger. You still have fear surge through you. You still have ambitions and lusts and all kinds of... You have those things. It's in, it's, but Paul says very specifically, he said it's in this. It's in this meat we live in, this, 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 this body. And so you and I know ourselves. And you know the temper. You know what you say, to, uh, you say in the mirror in the morning when you're sh shaving or whatever. You, 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 know, you know when, when someone hurts your feelings what you would like to do to them. You know those things. And so how do you love that? So people say, you got to love yourself. You're going, I know myself too well. At least any honest person. And, and here's the deal. Is when we come to this God, sin, our failures, have been paid for. I do not need to be afraid in any way to admit my sins. Repeatedly. I can confess something a thousand times and have. It doesn't run out. There has been at the center of human history one sacrifice. The Son of God, not just anybody, died for me and he died for you. He paid all of my sin completely. And so I can come to him and confess my sins. I can, as it were, lay my hand on Jesus and impart my sin to him. Isn't that an ugly but wonderful thought? The Lamb of God will bear my sin for me. I can trust that this innocent person. That's why it always had to be a spotless lamb. You always gave the best. I can trust that this spotless son of God. Bore my sin. I can confess it freely. I can let it go. Even though my flesh will fail me. If I didn't have a savior... And if I didn't have this kind of mercy, I wouldn't make it through the day. And I'm not being, this isn't me saying it in front of you. I live with myself. I am constantly calling on the Lord. I have things surge and then I have to apologize for them. Yes? Yes. yes. And yet the mercy is constantly there. I'm not cast away for that. I'm loved. I'm forgiven. I'm his. I'm a son or a daughter. I belong to him. He's training his children, not judging sinners. Isn't that wonderful? That's what, that's, that's what we 
are honoring today. This is our, these are our new symbols, as it were. We don't sacrifice a goat or a sheep. This one sacrifice, we know the sacrifice all of that pointed to. The sacrifice has been replaced by this, the symbol has been replaced by the person it symbolized. But Jesus gave us these at the Last Supper. It was, a, it was a Passover meal. And he took some of the bread from Passover and he held it up and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He was, he was saying, tomorrow I will be crucified. Do believe. He was inviting his disciples to eat, to say, I believe. You died for me. You are the door. You are the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. They were choosing to believe what he'd been telling them all along. Will you believe that I've died for you? He took a cup. It was the cup of redemption. It would be the third cup of a Passover meal. It speaks of blood, of the blood there in, in, in Egypt. And he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The old covenant of the law has passed away. I'm establishing a new, the one promised by the prophets. What God will do is take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. God will fill you with the Holy Spirit. He will wash your sins away. And he will teach you as his children. What I'm going to do on the cross tomorrow, we'll bring that to you. Do you believe? Do you believe? Will you receive the new covenant that I've come to give my life for? The question is the same for us today. We know all of those wonderful things. We know the, the Christmas story. Do you believe? Do I believe? Holy Spirit, this day, would you open our ears and eyes, soften our hearts, give us the grace. Lord, as it were, we sit with you in that room. And as you pass to us the bread, we say this, we believe you are the door of the sheepfold. You are the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. You are the lamb of God that died for the sins of the world. We love you, Jesus. You've made a way for us, not just into heaven, but into the very heart of God. As sons and daughters of the living God, you, you've done things we still could just barely glimpse an understanding. Thank you for that. We honor you and believe you. We believe your blood was shed for us. You are the Lamb of God. In Jesus' name we pray it. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.